Welcome to the Gambone Law Podcast. My name is Alfonso Gambone, and I'm a criminal defense lawyer who practices law in Pennsylvania and New Jersey. This podcast brings together some of the latest legal issues affecting the lives of people that I represent every day. The goal of this podcast is to provide information and explain legal concepts and dispel myths and misinformation. For more information about how our law firm can serve you and your family during life's challenges, visit GamboneLaw.com or call us at 215-755-9000 or 856-793-7429, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Well, welcome back to the Gambone Law, Law Podcast. Today, I am pleased to have on Rick Collins. Rick is a good friend and also a colleague. He is an attorney practicing out of Long Island, New York, but has pretty much a national practice, which focuses on performance-enhancing drugs, PEDs, uh, and represents a lot of people in the fitness industry, bodybuildings, uh, bodybuilders, athletes, and pretty much has a is the legal expert in that field. And I'm pleased to have Rick on. I frequently consult with Rick on matters involving steroids and performance enhancing drugs. So, Rick, welcome again. Thank you, Al. Good morning. Good to see you. Good to see you as well, Rick. I want to talk a little bit about the Anabolic Steroid Act of 1990. And from what I understand, that is really how your practice in this area really got started. Um, it's my understanding that that you were actually a, a bodybuilder. Um, and uh, I don't think you turned pro, but uh, at the time you were in, you, you were in law school um, and you graduated law school you were a prosecutor. And then around 1990, I think you moved over into private practice. And it was in that year where everything changed with regards to anabolic steroids. And after 1990, uh, anabolic steroids were pretty much outlawed uh, in, in most situations for, um, and the only exceptions were rare diseases uh, in which doctors could prescribe these, these drugs. And prior to that, uh, the drugs always, I guess, required a prescription, but doctors had more of an ability to, to prescribe. Is that correct? So uh, timing is everything in life, right? And, and you're right. 1990 was the year that I went into private practice and, and moved over from the district attorney's office as a prosecutor uh, to representing people on the other side, the people accused of crimes and, and, and you know, investigations. And so that was the same year that Congress uh, changed the status of anabolic steroids. Prior to that, they were prescription drugs, just like many, many other prescription drugs. If there's a prescription, uh, a uh, doctor, you know, makes the prescription, the pharmacist fills it, the patient uses the medication, that's fine. In 1990, Congress took anabolic steroids and put them into the Controlled Substances Act. And that was really a, a major change because the Controlled Substances Act, which is the, the law that deals with the uh, of drugs of abuse, narcotics, heroin, cocaine, methamphetamine, marijuana, um, oxycodone, all of those, because of their potential for abuse and for addiction and dependency, those are the drugs that are more highly regulated. So doctors can only prescribe for a medical reason a medical condition and in the usual course of their practice. So once steroids were put into that sort of more stigmatized category 
um, that's where really the, the black market exploded. And that's when doctors were effectively taken out of the equation to the degree that they had been. And just to, to quickly do the terms, when we talk about anabolic steroids, we're talking about a very specific class of steroids. Um, steroids can mean everything, as you know, from estrogen to uh, cortisone, even cholesterol is a steroid. So anabolic steroids are a subcategory of steroids that build muscle and masculinize. So they're often called anabolic androgenic steroids. And the main one is testosterone, which coincidentally is, is a natural hormone in the body of every man, woman, and child um, in America and, and around the world. So steroids, anabolic steroids were made schedule three drugs in 1990. So now with regards to anabolic steroids and testosterone being one of them, it seems that we're still in a situation where doctors, for the most part, cannot prescribe these drugs except in rare disease situations. So any type of non-disease situation, uh, doctors really can't prescribe. Uh, so I guess really, I mean, the issue is non-disease. For instance, a man who has low testosterone, uh, in those situations, a doctor can prescribe testosterone, yes? Yes. So, but now I guess the issue becomes, because I've spoken to, to doctors and I myself, just, just to put it out there, I'm on TRT, okay? And when I started on TRT, the first thing my, my doctor told me was, well, I'm never going to prescribe you anything more than 200 milligrams a week. That is the max that you will ever get from any doctor. It, it doesn't matter what your levels are. And I find that kind of interesting because where did that number come from, 200 milligrams? I mean, who's to say that I don't need more? Or, and, 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 and who's to say that a man, I mean, again, I know nothing about medical science, right? I'm an attorney. Uh, so, and most people, if you're not in the medical field, have very little understanding of, of how these drugs work. So where did this 200 milligrams come from? Is that, is that some type of determination that Congress, when they were uh, putting together this act, and, and I think it was amended in 2004, did that number somehow become arbitrarily created? So the law has been amended. Uh, that 1990 law was amended in 2004 to sort of expand uh, to include a number of products that were on the market called prohormones, which were sort of loopholed anabolic steroids that have become uh, very prevalent, uh, marketed as dietary supplements. And then the law was amended again in 2014, again, to address some of these loopholed anabolic steroids that were on the market as uh, dietary supplements. So the law wasn't perfect. Uh, and so it needed to be fixed twice effectively. The 200 milligrams uh, has, there, there's nothing in any of those laws that specifies any particular doses um, for, for what is acceptable. It's really, that's come from the medical community. And there are doctors who uh, believe, based on some studies, that about 200 milligrams is the point where it really transitions from a physiological dose to a supra-physiological dose. And the difference is that physical, you know, what you need from a physiological standpoint will bring you to 
the point of high normal and that if the dose is too high, well, then it, it's not really medical anymore. And remember that the distinction between regular prescription drugs and controlled substances like anabolic steroids, which are schedule three, is that it's got to be for a medical purpose. It's got to be medical. And it, the implication is that if it's 300 milligrams a week or 500 milligrams a week, those become bodybuilding doses. Those become doses that are no longer medically required or medically justified. We're now getting into what's deemed super physiological. And, you, and you're right. Individual needs for, of di different patients may vary. Um, and you could argue that it's somewhat arbitrary as applied to any one particular individual. But that's sort of become the, the standard cutoff. Again, nothing in the law about that, but that's sort of what it's become. Uh, there are some statutes, in addition to the federal law, obviously many, many states just followed suit with their own state statutes. And so in many state statutes, statutes it actually says uh, bodybuilding, building muscle, sports performance are all not acceptable uses. They're not medical uses of anabolic steroids. So now we have the situation where we're legalizing marijuana. For instance, in New Jersey, you can obviously obtain medical marijuana. But in addition, if you want to purchase marijuana for recreational use, you can do that. And marijuana you know, does cause impairment like like alcohol. And I bet if you looked pretty hard at it, long-term misuse of it could, could cause potential health risk. Um, and, but the reason why we've now legalized marijuana is because we've had medical evidence to show that there are benefits. Now, it's my understanding, just based on doing my own research, that there are benefits associated with, with anabolic steroids to help with, for instance, seniors and the, the, the growth of muscle to help men with, uh, who are aging to, to, to improve mood, to uh, improve, improve uh, situations where possibly because of reduced testosterone levels, um, uh, it becomes a health issue. So this, this law regarding anabolic steroids, and, and, and when I say law, I'm referring to the act and also the fact that states now have pretty much mirrored the federal law. Do you see that changing now that drugs like, and I'll just call them drugs, like marijuana are legal? I mean, why this war on PEDs? So there's a lot to unpack there. So, so with respect to marijuana, uh, yes, many states have now either um, legalized the medical use of marijuana or in some states, they've legalized the recreational use. Um, let's just talk about the medical for a minute. Um, the states that have legalized medical marijuana have done so because they have essentially found that there's a body of evidence of science that suggests that there's medical uses for marijuana. Uh, interestingly, that has not happened at the federal level. To this day, marijuana remains schedule one, which means that Congress has found zero, no medical uses whatsoever for marijuana, completely inconsistent with what the states have found that have legalized medical marijuana. So, I mean, if you think about how absurd that, that situation is, right, either the science supports medical uses or it doesn't. And if all of these states have found it, 
how could Congress still not have found that information? So um, we have yet to have either recreational or even medical legalization of marijuana at the federal level. So um, that's important to, to recognize. Um, in terms of the, the testosterone and, and you know, relaxing of those laws or potential, um, one of the things that I find interesting is that many people think that anabolic steroids were sort of stuck into that controlled substance status because of all of these dangers that they presented. If you look back at the hearings that Congress held in the late 1980s, which were really looking at whether um, steroids should be treated as something different than prescription drugs, and ultimately it was decided that they'd be Schedule Three controlled substances. If you look at those hearings, the majority of the witnesses who testified at those hearings were not doctors or psychiatrists or folks in the medical or science community. In fact, the ones from those communities who testified, uh, representatives from the American Medical Association, from the DEA, from the National Institute on Drug Abuse, um, from the FDA, all of those witnesses said not to schedule anabolic steroids. The ones who were pushing for scheduling of anabolic steroids were the sports folks, the folks in organized athletics, particularly who were looking at it from an anti-doping perspective. It wasn't really the, the great harms or, or dangers of anabolic steroids that were first in their minds. It was the benefits of anabolic steroids. In other words, what they do well, not what they do poorly for people. And that is they can help athletes to run faster, to jump higher, to throw harder, to hit harder. All of those athletic performance advantages or potential advantages in athletic performance were looked at as a huge threat to the integrity of sports. And Congress wanted to act not so much to, to prevent harms to people, but to prevent the benefits to athletes that steroids could provide. Well, and, and that brings up a good point because sports leagues, I mean, everywhere have gotten more sophisticated and just grown you know, more in all areas. So I can see a situation where you know, every league has its own policy regarding anabolic steroids and, and even testosterone. Just, you which, know, which they do. Right. Yeah. But, and and that, that makes sense to me. But to have a situation where outside of sports, if a doctor believes based on their medical training and experience and education that these drugs could help someone. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, to me, there's already safeguards in place. I'm not talking about just you know, legalizing, for instance, putting anabolic steroids on counters and, 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 and on the shelves of your local CVS or Walgreens. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a situation where a doctor has, an, has a patient, wants to write them a, a certain anabolic steroid because they believe it has medical benefits. Well, now th this law has created this irrebuttable presumption that we know better than doctors. So we're not even going to allow the doctor to, to practice medicine. And I think there's a due process argument here. I, I, I really do. I think that there, there are already safeguards in place. If a doctor misprescribes or overprescribes, and it can be shown that, that they're actually harming the patient, 
Well, there are consequences with that. The doctor will lose his or her medical license. So, I mean, that's a way of kind of, I guess, protecting protecting the public. And also there's a safeguard in place. So to me, it seems like this, the, this entire steroid act, whether it be what was created in 1990, 2004, is, I hate to use the word unnecessary, because I believe perhaps there is there, I mean, there needs to be regulation, but to simply take it out of doctors' hands, I don't think is it, it's just, it's just constitutional, to be honest with you. Well, what you're kind of making the case, right? I mean, if you really think about it, um, if doctors are already restricted from harming patients, if the main focus was harming patients, um, that would be one thing. But what if the, the main purpose of the act has nothing to do with protecting patients? What if the main purpose is to protect sports? It is to keep the steroids out of the hands of competitive athletes, high school, college, and, and particularly professional athletes. Well, you know, the, the fact that you're saying that all of the regulations exist, and, and you're right, uh, means that it must be for some other reason that this law exists. And if you, again, if you go back to the, you know, the, the hearings in the late 1980s, they came right after the 1988 Seoul Olympics, which is when the Canadian sprinter Ben Johnson won the gold medal, uh, beat the American Carl Lewis, and then tested positive for anabolic steroids. The sports world went crazy. What, what's going to happen now? Are, are athletes going to become these chemical experiments that are just, you know, it, it's going to be an increasing chemical arms race between athletes to see who can take the most drugs. And so it was in that context that Congress took action. And so um, the true intent of the act, I think, had very little to do with the concerns that you're talking about and more to do with the concerns that I'm talking about. Uh, it's funny. I mean, I've, I've made this case and, and I know you've, you've looked at my writings and I've, I've written a lot about this. I wrote a book called Legal Muscle a number of years ago where I really dissected and set forth exactly what happened in Congress that led to the passing of that act in 1990. And I think it's a pretty compelling case that the, the science was really contrary to scheduling anabolic steroids, uh, but Congress did it anyway. But it seems like with regards to sports, when we have an athlete come up positive for performance enhancing drugs, and I'm just going to use the NFL example, it's never a situation where we hear about anabolic steroids. It's more of like they took something that they picked up from GNC or from their trainer. And the first thing they say is that I didn't even know, you know, that that it was a banned substance. So I, I haven't heard a lot of um, athletes coming up positive for anabolic steroids like testosterone or a trembolone or, or, um, um, Dianabol. It's, it's more of a situation where the, the, these athletes are, are coming up positive for something that's in some type of, you know, pre-workout or a uh, post-workout or something like that. Um, so I guess, I mean, you know, with regards to tests for the, I mean, for instance, the NFL, for instance, it's my understanding that they obviously do drug tests, but there's no real test to look at testosterone or their growth hormone levels because everyone's is different, right? 
Well, there, there are tests. And, and one of the things they look at for testosterone is the ratio of testosterone to another hormone in the body. They can also do what's called carbon isotope testing, which tests whether the testosterone in a urine sample comes from a um, you know, human, a, a mammal, or whether it comes from a plant. Um, but the, the overall point that you're making, and that is that the law was, in t- if the law was intended to address sports cheating at the high level, it doesn't seem like it's really applicable in, in practice. It's really not that um, prevalent. And it's almost like the tail wagging the dog. And, and that's an argument I've made very often. And that is that if the law uh, was intended to address athletes, it really missed the point of who's using anabolic steroids. And now we've talked about this before. And, and the reality is that studies and surveys um, almost universally confirm that the overwhelming majority of people who are using steroids non-medically, in other words, outside the scope of a, of a doctor-patient-pharmacy situation, the vast majority of those people are not NFL players. They are not in the Olympics. They are not even college athletes. They are recreational gym rats who are using steroids not for performance purposes, but for appearance purposes. And steroids effectively, in reality, when you boil it down, they're a cosmetic drug. They're an aesthetic drug for the vast majority of people who are using them non-medically. It's not to increase performance. It's to make people look better, particularly men, for men to look better uh, when they take their shirt off uh, or wear a tight T-shirt or go on vacation to Cancun. So, but with regards to testosterone levels, so a person could be optimized, for instance, just use sports as an example. Uh, We'll use any athlete, but they could have optimized levels and still fall within the quote unquote normal range. And for instance, be on TRT. And I mean, is, I mean, in those situations, I don't know if you have any experience with that, but a aging football player who gets his testosterone level checked and it comes back at low, like in the mid two hundreds, he goes to see his, his, um, his general practitioner and he or she prescribes a, a dose, uh, a, a course of, of, of testosterone, 100 milligrams a week. Is that football player now violating NFL policy? He would be unless he got a particular advanced therapeutic use exemption. In other words, most sports, the Olympics, um, professional sports, will allow athletes to apply for an exemption to the sports doping laws based on medical need. And then it's going to be up to the you know, the, the deciders within the league to determine whether that is a valid therapeutic use exemption. Um, but, but, but in terms, but, but I mean, I don't want to cut you off, but in terms of that exemption are, I mean, are any NFL players actually applying for that exemption? Because I, I would think once you apply for that exemption and once you say, well, I, I want to use these drugs and I, and I'm being prescribed, let's use the number hundred milligrams a week. If that athlete is a star in the league, the first thing they're going to say is, well, his, his stats are tainted. So yeah. I guess there it gets, has it, to be- it certainly gets complicated. And there were a number of therapeutic, uh, therapeutic use exemptions that were applied for in UFC, where um, obviously if, if an uh, athlete can hit substantially harder um, because they're on 
a performance enhancing or a, a you know an anabolic type of uh, substance uh, that can become a safety issue in sports. So these are complicated issues, um, and these are I, I think in in large measure why the sports folks were saying, look, it's these are complicated issues. We don't know if we can really police these issues within our drug testing system. So we're going to ask you, Congress, to step in and make a blanket rule to sort of take these things away from physicians so they can't prescribe them to athletes. That was really the core of what happened in 1990. And since then, you know, you mentioned marijuana and the relaxing of laws, at least at the state levels on marijuana. Well, you know, the marijuana, the, the in favor of relaxation of those laws lobby with respect to marijuana, I think has been far more effective than the lobby for the relaxation of laws with respect to anabolic steroids. A bunch of a bunch of jacked up muscle heads and gym rats, you know, screaming about why they want testosterone or, or anabolic steroids to be more uh, available to them through their doctors or through, you know, a, a, a more relaxed kind of um, process uh, just doesn't have the political clout that the marijuana lobby has. Well, and, and I, I hate to judge people, but is it, is it because marijuana is seen as kind of like a drug that relaxes you, that a drug that I guess people don't associate it with, obviously, strength, endurance, uh, a certain look. Is that the reason why, you know, well, marijuana, that, that's going to calm people down. Whereas anabolic steroids, the belief is we're all going to become these raging, raging lunatics because of drugs. But I mean, really steroids and you know, specifically anabolic steroids don't work unless the person does the work. I mean, so you could be on TRT and the first thing that a good doctor will say is, well, I'm going to prescribe you this, but if you don't improve your diet, if you don't exercise, you're not really going to get any, I mean, you might get some benefits from it, but actually to, to actually realize the benefit of it, you're going to have to do certain things. And is it because anabolics give people a certain look is, 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 is I mean, is that the reason why they're treated differently? Is that it? Yeah, we, we could we could speculate about that. And there's a lot to unpack there. The the correlation between testosterone and other anabolic steroids and aggression is is something we could spend a whole show talking about um, the the attachment of the concept of roid rage, uh, steroid fueled out of control behavior um, by those who take anabolic steroids has become part of the the discussion of anabolic steroids, even though the evidence of that um, in the vast majority of anabolic steroid users, and I mean like the huge majority, is, is absent. Um, and we could go into, into whether that really even exists or to what extent it exists, absent other factors, including pre-existing mental illness and, and you know, use of other drugs, et cetera. We could go into all of that. But I think, I think what you're what you're getting to is, is a very good point. And that is that there's a certain harmlessness to the idea that marijuana just sort of chills you out. And even though it can affect driving and all the other aspects, which are a public health concern, um, there's, a, there's a more benign kind of view of it. Um, but with steroids, you have not only that sort of aggression connection, but you've also got the cheating connection. 
And that is because in the 1980s and, and all the way through, steroids are associated with an ethical lapse. In other words, you're cheating. You're using steroids and it's making you easier. The point you made about that, it, it's not some sort of magic pill where you take an anabolic steroid and you wake up the next morning and you look like the Hulk. Uh, obviously, steroids actually, arguably, they just allow you to train even harder to recover faster and, and get stronger so you can use more weight and do more reps and more sets so that you, you actually uh, are working harder than you could work without steroids. But that sort of, we've never really gotten past that concept of cheating, that connection of cheating. And then lastly, I suppose, big, muscular, jacked up looking people um, are to some looked at as sort of a physical threat. There's something, you know, threatening about somebody who weighs, you know, 40 pounds heavier than you do um, with half the body fat. And so um, there is that also there. And um, particularly in some Scandinavian countries, I, I think they've actually looked at sort of hypermuscularity and hypermasculinity in a very negative sense. So in terms of, I guess, the common ground, I mean, look, I agree with you that there are people who use sometimes performance enhancing drugs who sometimes don't even look like they use because they don't put the exercise in the diet. So it is kind of like- And a, there's also a genetic component. You know, look, I've represented more people involved with steroids than anybody. And I can tell you there are some- some guys that I've represented as clients who were heavy steroid users for many, many years. And I, I look at the guy and he's got like 16 inch arms, despite all of the, the use and, you know, genetics play a role as well. And he, he trained hard. He just didn't have the, the genetic potential to build the kind of muscle that you would expect from that level of steroid use. But in terms of a middle ground, let's pretend for a second that, that you have the opportunity to kind of rewrite the, the law as it is, okay? And we want to allow doctors to prescribe based on their experience, their education, and their knowledge. Um, I mean, what would you like to see happen as far as anabolic steroids and physicians in this country? So one thing we haven't talked about that I think it's important to at least at least touch upon is the idea that while anabolic steroids may not have the same levels of harms that the media has has put forward about them through all of the years, I mean, every drug can be abused. And there's no doubt that anabolic steroids, particularly in high doses for long sustained periods of time and without any medical supervision uh, or monitoring whatsoever can be very, very bad for you. Um, massive amounts of steroids can affect the body and systems of the body in so many different ways. And you can hurt yourself, particularly from using steroids for a very long period of time at very, very high doses. I think we've exaggerated the risks in the media. Yes. Um, and, you know, we hear like, liver cancer. And, and when we hear, for example, uh, about that in the media, they make it sound like all you use one, you know, anabolic steroid dose and you're going to, your liver's going to fall out. 
Obviously, it's just oral steroids that affect the liver to that degree, and injectable steroids don't. So there's nuances to all of this. Um, but the point, I guess, is that I think as a society, one of the things we should think about is harm reduction. We don't want people to get sick. We don't want people to hurt themselves. And so if we can make our laws and our policies focus more on reducing the harms, then I think we're going in the right direction. And so getting a, taking it full circle, when we made the law in 1990, which effectively took pharmacies, took doctors, took FDA-approved uh, prescription versions of the drugs, all out of the equations. We effectively removed all of that from the non-medical use of steroids. We dramatically raised the risks. We made it much more dangerous for people. And you know that, I think, is a failure. If we look at the criminalization of anabolic steroids in terms of how effective it was, have, have the laws gotten steroids out of sports? No. Have the laws protected the people who are using them? No. So I think it needs a vast rethinking. Um, the, the lobby of, of sort of the, the got people in the gyms who've used steroids all these years, who've, you know, and a lot of my clients will say to me, why are anabolic steroids criminalized? Why are they being treated like heroin and cocaine? This makes no sense. We're not addicts. We're not on the street. We don't have the same patterns of use or motivations for use. We're not trying to get high. We're just trying to look better. We're trying to feel better, look better, be bigger. And maybe uh, maybe it's a bad choice. And, and let's, let's assume it is a bad choice in the same way that certain cosmetic surgery procedures may not be necessary, maybe purely for vanity. And we're a very, very self-absorbed, uh, appearance-absorbed society. Maybe that's not the best thing. But there is a, a certain bodily autonomy, you know, a certain argument for, you know, at least with respect to some sort of appearance uh, drug, my body, you know, my choice, I should be able to do what I want with my own body, particularly if nobody else is involved at all. Um, and so I think rethinking those laws makes sense. Well, Rick, I think this has been very informative. Um, I think there's a lot. I mean, I believe that we are going to get to a place where I don't believe that we're going to have a situation where we're ever going to see anabolic steroids and, and, and things like testosterone available over the counter. But I think given the fact that we're seeing, well, it's an aging population. And I think there are more and more active seniors and there are people in their seventies and even eighties who want to lead an active lifestyle and TRT clinics and clinics that promote health and wellness into the older ages are becoming more and more common. And it's not becoming a situation where it's reserved for the Hollywood elites, it's just everyday people. I think we will see a situation where maybe not this year or next year, but quite like marijuana, I think we are gonna see a situation where the law, I think sports is a whole separate category. I think we're never gonna see a situation because of, because of records and things like that. But I guess for, just for health reasons, I think that we will see a situation where the law somehow will change, whether it be giving it just back to the states and allowing them to decide what to do. And, 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 and really, I think that's where we're headed. Would you agree well, with that? Well, certainly drug testing in sports has improved. And so I think the argument that, yeah, let sports police their athletes, let sports, you know, do what they want, set their own rules, 
um, set their own drug testing systems for their athletes. But if people are not involved with sports, and like I said before, the vast majority, like 80% or more of people who are using who use anabolic steroids are not involved in any way with sports, then why is the tail wagging the dog? Let those people do what they want. Let their doctors um, prescribe uh, steroids or, or testosterone with a little bit more of a, of a liberal bent under close supervision and monitoring for people who are particularly suffering the effects of aging. As it stands right now, obviously TRT is okay if, if we look at TRT as addressing a medical issue, right? We get back to that issue. It's gotta be for a medical purpose. So if the medical purpose is for treatment of low testosterone, hypogonadism, then it's okay. If it's just for quote unquote anti-aging, then it wouldn't be okay under current laws because aging itself is not a disease. The only other thing I'll, I'll point out when, when we're looking at forward about how the laws may change is I've come up to uh, upon a, a few very interesting articles in the last year or two um, dealing with the trans community and testosterone within that community. And there have been a number of articles written by folks in the trans community who are saying that, look, if you are a person who is assigned female at birth and looking to either transition to male or to simply be more non-binary, in other words, to have more masculine characteristics, um, broader shoulders, um, you know, heavier jawline, more beard, etc., then you are diagnosed with a medical condition of gender dysphoria, and you can be prescribed testosterone to change your appearance. In, in the case of a non-binary individual, it's not even to transition fully to another sex. It's just to be to have a, an appearance that helps you feel more comfortable about the way you look. And there's been a growing lobby within the trans community saying, look, testosterone's status as schedule three is stigmatizing and holding back the um, more widespread usage of testosterone for individuals who want to change the way they look. And we should either deschedule it or lower it in the in the scheduling. I read one article where an activist within the LGBTQ community was actually suggesting that testosterone be pulled out of the definition of anabolic steroids and be pulled out of the Controlled Substances Act and maybe even allowed to be prescribed um, more broadly or even over the counter. And the argument that testosterone is not over the counter was claimed to be a transphobic. Um, kind of policy. So we're seeing some strange, strange bedfellows now where it may be that the trans community um, may be the, 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 the current greatest hope for those who are looking for a bodybuilding effect of testosterone. Well, Rick, I just want to thank you again for coming on today. If people want to get in touch with you, where can they find you and your law firm? So rickcollins.com is an easy place to find me. You can go there. You can contact me through my website. 
Um, it's focused more on, on federal law, particularly law involving anabolic steroids, and I have a nationwide practice. If you need help uh, with any case involving appearance or performance-enhancing drugs, please reach me through that. Also, I've got a very active Instagram page at Rick Collins ESQ. Uh, Rick Collins ESQ is also my Twitter page, so you can follow me in either one of those places. And uh, feel free to reach out to me if you have uh, any issues or questions about the law and how it impacts these sorts of drugs. And Rick, I think you also have a column, right? A, a column? I do. I've been writing a column in Muscular Development Magazine for over 20 years, and many of those columns are now posted online at musculardevelopment.com. So you can read a lot of my past columns, and, and obviously I write a lot about anabolic steroids and the laws and maybe some changes that we need to make to these laws. So feel free to, to go to the musculodevelopment.com website and look up all of my past columns. Rick, thanks again. And I'll talk to you soon. Always great talking to you, Al. You as well. Thanks, Rick.